Good to see you all here with us. Um, we are, I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago um, that I um, went down to California and I got myself engaged. So I'll be married June 8th. Robbie, we will deal with church discipline later. Uh, now, here, here's the deal. This is actually, it was cool. This is just a candid selfie that I took, uh, which is just really impressive with my third arm. I don't know how to pull that up. Um, now, listen, here, here's the deal. I love you guys. Uh, I love this church. I love Alaska. I, I love my job. But I left my heart near Sacramento. Uh, no, I don't know. That's, uh, I, th- listen, there, there is, I, I would rather, as much as I love all of you guys, I would rather right now be in California with Jill, my fiancé. That's uh, uh, French for fiancé, if you didn't speak that language. Uh, however, there, there, is, there is something outside of me, uh, 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 something that's controlling me, hindering me from being down in California right now. And that's March Madness. Uh, that's the only reason that I'm not... No, I'm just uh, no, that's a joke. Don't tell her. Cut that part, Ian, from the message. Um, no, there is... I have a job, right? I have a job. And I can't, I can't in good conscience just say, peace out, everybody. I'm going to go down to Sacramento for the next two months until I get married. And we'll just kind of hang out there in June. The Lord has given me a job to preach the word, to shepherd the flock. And the elders have this wild idea that I have to be here in order to do that job. Right? I, I don't understand why they would hinder me uh, and say that I, in order to get paid, I have to be in the building on Sunday mornings. They're so oppressive like that. But um, I, can, I, can, I can resonate with what Paul is saying here in Romans 15, where we're studying this morning. He says, I have longed for many years to come to you, baby. That's the message remix at the end there. <laughs> and he says, this, but he says, there's something hindering me. He says, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. So, so I have a job. There's something that's hindering me from this other desire to go be with Jill, namely my job, what the Lord has for me right here today. And what Paul is going to tell the Romans, Roman believers, he says, I want to come to you. Uh, he's never met them before. He says, I've longed to, to be with you, to be encouraged by each other, but there's something else outside of that that's controlling me, that's hindering me from coming to do what I want to do. Now, what is it? What is it that's hindering Paul from doing that? And that's what our passage this morning is going to teach us about. Um, if we remember Romans, we're almost done. Next week's going to be our last week in Romans 16 before we get into some, some Easter uh, study together. But we said the first 11 chapters of Romans explain this new life that we have in Christ, uh, who we are in Christ uh, by faith through grace and, and what we've been given in salvation and in, in sanctification and one day glorification. And then these last five chapters talk about what this new life looks like. And we've seen, as we've been studying this last month, month and a half, that this new life is primarily a life that's marked by love. Love for God and love for other people. And we remember, if you've seen in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says it this way, for Christ's love compels us. With this new spirit in us, the spirit of Christ, we are compelled. That word means to be controlled or constrained, to be guided, to be urged forward by this, this love, the love of Christ that's in each and every one of us. And today's passage is going to show us three things that the love of Christ compelled Paul to do, and I believe ought to compel us to do as well. So let's look. We're going to be in Romans 15. The words will be on the screen, uh, but you can follow along in your own version. Uh, the first point is that Christ's love compelled Paul to preach the gospel to those who had never heard, to preach the gospel to those 
who had never heard. If, if you remember the story of Paul, he started out as a guy named Saul. He was Jesus hater extraordinary. He's throwing Christians into prison left and, and right. But Jesus grabs a hold of Saul, meets him on the road to Damascus. He saves Paul, raises him from the dead spiritually and says, I have a new plan and a purpose for you. He gives Paul a new holy ambition, a new purpose for his life, a new aim And there's two things that we're going to see in this passage that that dictate that. The first one is a specific spirit-led conviction. A specific spirit-led conviction. If you you go over to uh, Acts chapter 9, where Paul first had this conversion experience, um, Jesus, actually we're talking to Ananias here, the Lord said to him, who's going to go tell Paul his new mission in life, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. Paul has a new mission, and that is to preach the gospel to the Gentiles as the non-Jewish people in the Roman Empire, and that becomes his aim, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, back here in Romans 15, where we're studying, he says this about this ministry that God gave him as an apostle, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. He says, I did it. God told me to go preach the gospel, and I did it. And he uses these two phrases, and the reason he does is because this encapsulates the whole of his ministry. Jerusalem is where it started. Remember, that's where Jesus ascended, and that's where the apostles first took the message, and from there, they're going out toward the ends of the earth. And Illyricum is up here in the top left of the screen. It's where modern-day Albania is. And this was on the outer edges of the Roman Empire. So what Paul is saying, when he says, I've fulfilled the ministry, he's not saying that every single person in the Roman Empire has now heard the gospel. He's not saying every single person in the Roman Empire is now saved. What is it that he's saying? His job as an apostle, which that means a sent one, was to go and lay, he was a pioneer missionary, meaning he was going, laying a foundation for the gospel where it had not yet been. Remember, this is a whole new thing. The, the church is, is a brand new movement that Jesus has started. And he says, I went to plant these, these churches. Now, think of it like, a, like someone planting a tree. He says, I want to go, my, my job is to go plant trees where there are no trees. Now, that doesn't mean there's no work left there. He says, I'm planting trees, but from there, we want to see orchards planted. In those areas, we want to see more churches planted. We want to see more people coming to know the faith. So like here in Alaska, in our area, we got trees, right? There are, there are, the gospel has come to Salatna. There's a tree planted here, but from there, there are these orchards that are to come out of this tree that's been planted here, and we have a lot of work done to be done right here, right? There's a lot of people, thousands of people in the Soldatna and Kenai area, and especially in the Kiski, that are lost, all right? <laughs> that's my kind of monthly barb. Um, but we need, we got to go, right? Well, there are more people who need the love and life of Jesus. So there's a lot of work done to be done here, but Paul says, I have a specific mission that God gave me, and, he, and he's very explicit about it here in verse 20. He says, thus I make it my ambition, my aim, my goal, to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, not where there's already a foundation laid, not where there's a tree already been planted, lest I build on someone else's foundation. It says, God's called me to take the gospel where it has never been before. Now, where did Paul get this ambition? Well, we know that, that God called him specifically to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to be a sent one to the places that the gospel had never been before. But then it's interesting what he does here to back up his call here. He didn't talk about his own experience. He turns to the Old Testament. 
He says, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. He's quoting Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah says this light's going to shine, and it's going to go to places that's never been before. And so Paul is saying, the reason I go is not just because God specifically called me, but because as I look at his word, there is a general biblical principle here that we know God's heart. For God so loved the world. He loves everybody. He wants everyone to know about Jesus. And so based on God's word, I know that part of God's heart is to see everybody know the Lord. And so, so my heart becomes what God's heart is. And so we go, and as you and I read the Bible, this is what happens to us. As we read his truth, the word starts to convict us, and it starts to guide and shape our our decisions, our will, and our desires. It ought to do that. It did this in my life. Um, after, as in high school, the Lord started to direct me, and he took me to a place um, called New Tribes Bible Institute down in Jackson, Michigan. Uh, Deanne Martin has been to that school now as well. Now it's called Ethnos 360 uh, because apparently that's cooler. I don't know. But uh, this is me. Uh, I'm the pensive one on the far right. Um, graduated from New Tribes. And as I walked through this Bible school, um, one of the things I found was the Lord leading me one of the things that New Tribes emphasizes is going to training missionaries to go to places where the gospel has never been, to languages that have never had the word of God translated into them before. And so this became my, my heart. Now listen, I didn't get a road to Damascus experience where just like God shouts at me from the heavens, Justin, Justin, stop persecuting me. I'm like, I'm not. I go to youth group. Leave me alone. I'm fine. No, he says, I didn't have this kind of road to Damascus experience like Paul did. But as I studied the word of God in New Tribes Bible Institute, I got to see God's heart. And in passages like this, came to understand God's heart for those who have never heard, to hear. For those who have never been told, to be told. And, and then it was a combination of this general biblical principle combined with the Holy Spirit telling me in particular, you're going to be one of these ones that goes, that led me to the decision to go to where the gospel had never been before. Now, I got a beef. Can I share my beef with you? Is that cool? Well, here's my beef. My beef is the, with the word missions. It's with the word missions. We use this term all the time, missions trips, missions teams, missions moments here at church. And here's why I don't like the word missions. I crossed it out of my PowerPoint, yes. Um, I believe that a better form of the word would be the singular mission. And this is why we as the church have been left with a mission, one mission. Jesus left and he said, go and make disciples of all nations, That's that's what we believe our job as a church, to present everyone complete in Christ. There are not multiple missions. There is one Savior, one faith in that Savior, one body that we're bringing everybody into underneath that Savior. And so there's one mission, to preach the gospel and make disciples. That's it. That's the mission that we're each on. And so I think it's more helpful to talk about in terms of mission. Okay, OCD moment over. Some of us are on the front lines. There there are different places and and parts of this mission for us to to be involved with. So some people, like Paul, he's on the front lines taking the gospel where it's never been, sort of like my friends Bart and Emily Allen. Uh, Bart and Emily uh, were, were classmates of mine at New Tribes, and they are now um, working among the Amdu people in Papua New Guinea. That's an island located just to the north of Australia. And they work with the Amdu people. The Amdu had never had the word of God translated into their language before. So for generation after generation after generation, Amdu people dying and never hearing the name of Jesus in their Amdu tongue. 
And here are Bart and Emily Allen coming over. They keep having babies, so they get more, making more future missionaries. And they, they keep coming back, and they, for the last four years, they've lived among these people. They've been studying their language and culture, and they've started to translate some of the portions of the Bible into the Amdu language. And they just returned to Papua New Guinea after a short break back here stateside. And over the next couple of months, Bart and Emily and their team that are there among the Amdu are going to start to teach the Amdu people the greatest story that's ever been told. And they're going to hear for the first time in their people's history of Jesus dying for them. And I can't wait to get the newsletter back, to hear the day coming in these next couple months that we've got brothers and sisters among the Amdu people. Amen? What a beautiful thing that God's doing with the Allens to take the gospel, like Paul, to places where the gospel's never been. Now that's a good, that's a necessary frontline part of the mission. But that's not the only part of the mission. There were also people in in the book of Acts like Barnabas. His name meant son of encouragement. And he'd go around to places where Paul had already planted churches and he'd encourage the church. He would grow and help disciple those who were there to multiply the efforts there to make more disciples in that area. There are many different ways to be a part of the mission, but make no mistake, each of us are called to be a part of the mission, singular. Imagine there's a drought in Soldatna. We got no more water left and you've got the only well in town. And we know this intuitively. You would not hoard all the water for yourself, right? You're going to go around and take it to those who are dying of dehydration. People are dying in this world today without ever having a chance to hear the name of Jesus. And this should rock us to our core. We should not sit on this comfortably. This should stir our hearts up. Not in, not in shame and condemnation but in conviction to be like Paul, uh, have a holy ambition to one way or another, how we're a part of that, the Spirit will lead in that. But all of us, make no mistake, are called to be a part of the mission to make disciples of all nations. I remember at Bible school, in my youthful zeal, I, I, I got pretty excited about this idea of frontier missions. But like with zeal, we can, we can run into a lot of, a lot of problems. And I, I came to this kind of arrogant understanding that I thought everybody should be going to these unreached people groups. And I remember coming back to our church and being like, you disobedient rebels. Go ye. Right? And so I thought 99% of us should get out of our seats and go overseas. Now, would that be a bad thing? Of course not. But the problem is I don't actually have a biblical foundation to tell all of you that you're in sin if you're not going with New Tribes Mission, right? We can't draw that. And in and, and, and the Bible itself, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but, but God gave the growth. There are going to be some who go and plant trees where there's never been any trees. There are going to be others who are going to come to those trees and water those trees and see those trees become orchards in that area. And that's what we're doing here in Soldatna. We're making this tree into an orchard. We're doing good, mission-focused, gospel-centered things. Having said that, there are people who need to go. The need is great, and the world is dark, and we need to carry that light. I mean, again, it's, it's intuitive. Where, where, does, where do we need light the most? Where it's the darkest. We've got a lot of candles in this room right now, and there are dark corners in this world. Now, the thing is, the dark is scary, isn't it? <laughs> And I can tell you, even as your pastor, man, it's scary to share your faith. It's scary to let that little light shine. And even when I'm at K Beach substituting and one of the, you know, people, hey, you're a pastor, right? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's scary. scary. I get it. I get it. Even Paul gets scared. He's going to ask for prayer in this very passage. 
for boldness as he goes to places that are scary to take the gospel. Now, there was a time in my life when I wanted to go to one of these places where I felt like the Lord was actually leading me toward one of these places. But then he redirected my path. He goes, I got you right here in Soldatna for right now, Justin. I want you to preach the gospel to the people in Soldatna and Kenai and even Nikiski. And so that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm here. But here, if God's not letting me go right now, then I want to send other people in my place. I want to send, I could actually multiply myself instead of me going. I could send 10, 20, 30 people instead. That's what I want our church to be, a missionary factory. We're sending lights into the darkest places in the world. Amen. And now here's the deal. A lot of us are sitting here going, well, I don't know that God's calling me to go. None of us think it's us, right? Just like our neighbor, I hope he's listening, right? No, but he, here's the deal. It's, it's not, is God calling me to go? Is God calling you to stay? Like he had to very specifically go, no, no, slow your roll, big guy. You're going to stay right here. And unless God's specifically calling you to do something, maybe that's for you. And here's what I'd encourage you into. Walk down that road. If the Holy Spirit's leading you in a direction, I would encourage you not to disobey that. I'd encourage you to listen to that and at least take steps toward that. And if he reroutes, then he'll reroute. But consider the call. Here's what I would love to have happen in 10 years from now to hear from 10, 15, 20 individuals in our family here at the church writing letters back to us similar to what Paul's writing to the Roman church and that people would say, I made it my ambition I made it my life's work to take the gospel where it's never been before, to lay a foundation where it had never been laid. Christ's love compelled Paul to do that. May he compel us to do the same. Second thing, Christ's love compelled Paul to help others financially, to help them financially. So he says, the reason I haven't come to you yet is because I had to take the gospel to places it had never been before. But there's also another thing that was hindering him from coming to Rome, and and he unpacks that here in the next verses, 25. He says, at at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. That's another word for believers, the Christians there in Rome, specifically the Jewish Christians. He says, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I've completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I'll leave for Spain by way of you. So there's a lot there we could unpack, but basically what he's saying is there was a famine at the time that many believe that was going on in Jerusalem, and so those those who were poor, those who were without, were dying of starvation. This rapid, this is a big need in the area. And so he says, and, and as you know, if you read the New Testament, this is all over the place. One of the primary things that Paul was doing was raising support, uh, fundraising to give this financial gift to the Christians in Jerusalem. You read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that's, that's what he's talking about at, at length. And this underlines Paul's commitment to the poor. We're not just called to go, we're called to give, to be generous with our resources to those who need them, namely the person of Jesus, but then also to give materially. And I know for many of us, we look at the system and we go, man, there's a lot of ways people are taking advantage out there, the poor and the welfare systems, and I get all that. But man, if we're going to err, shouldn't we err on the side of generosity? Just like Jesus did. Where, I mean, should not our hearts bleed for the poor and the marginalized and the orphan and the widow and the powerless? And give them a cold cup of water in Jesus' name. We'll talk about some ways to do that at the end, but Christ's love compelled Paul's heart as it should compel ours to have a heart to be generous to the poor. Third one, Christ's love compelled Paul to engage in a loving relationship with his bride. Christ's love compelled Paul to engage in a loving relationship with his bride. Look at the first couple verses in 22. He says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Why? 19 through 21, because I'm preaching the gospel where it hasn't been yet. 
And then he says, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, I've gone from Jerusalem to Illyricum. It's done. I preached. I planted the trees. And since I have longed for many years to come to you, you hear the desire, the relationship words in, in his, this passage? I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So this is, some say that Ro- the book of Romans is sort of a, a missionary support letter, that Paul is trying to ultimately go to Spain, another place that he hasn't been before with the gospel, and he's asking the, the Christians here in Rome to help him financially get there. It's a long trip, especially in first century A.D., so he's, he's praying for support, but then he also talks about this language of, of enjoying you. I long to see you. Do you hear that? In, in chapter 1, he says very similar things about them. I want to bring you a spiritual gift. I want to encourage each other, refresh each other, enjoy one another. And, and it goes both ways, right? Pastor Larry always talks about ministry being a two-way street. It's a two-way street. In other words, it's not just always you serving someone else or someone else always serving you. That a love relationship is, is both serving the other. And that's the two-way street that Paul is talking about here. Look at what he says in verse 32. So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. I want to bring you joy and I want to be refreshed by you. Verse 24, to be helped on my journey there by you that you would give me financial aid once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So he says, I want to enjoy you. I want to be refreshed by you. I want to receive your gifts as I go on to Spain. And of course, we hear that, that, he's, that he's helping them, enjoying them, encouraging them. And sometimes for some of us, it's a hard thing to get outside of ourselves and serve others. But also for many of us, it's hard to receive that, isn't it? There's a humbling aspect in allowing others to serve us. I remember when I was going through my hip surgery and having that replacement. It's an embarrassing, humbling thing when you need someone to help you go to the bathroom. (laughs) And so to allow other people, it's not just serving others, it's sometimes it's allowing them to serve you. The mutual encouragement that comes in the body of Christ. And again, he's going to mention this two-way street in the way he talks about prayer. Look at his language here. I appeal to you, verse 30, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. And here's some specific things he asks prayer for. That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. A lot of people that Paul has ticked off with the gospel. And that, by my, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. That they'll accept this gift that he's coming to bring them. Verse 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed by your company. I want to ultimately make it there with you. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So you see again in his prayers, prayer is a two-way street. He finishes this section by praying for them. And you go back to chapter 1, he says, I'm praying for you guys nonstop. But I also ask that you would pray for me. That you come alongside me. And, and this is the specific request that he gives them. I love this phrase. He says, to strive together with me in your prayers. This Greek phrase, it's really cool for striving together. Um, I'm not going to try to pronounce it. But in the middle of there, what do you see in the middle of that word? The word agonize. This word literally meant agonize together. That sin, S-Y-N, like sync. All right, bye, bye, bye. Together. Together, strive together, agonize together. That's what he's calling them into. This is the same phrase that Jesus used back in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying. He asked his disciples, and of course they failed to do it, but he said, agonize with me, pray with me. I'm about to endure the cross, and I want you to enter in. And this is the cool thing about prayer. In prayer, we empathetically enter into the struggle and the striving of our fellow brothers and sisters. And this is what Paul is calling them to do alongside of him. William Carey, the famous missionary to India, um, he said this. He said, I will go into the pit 
I will go down into the pit. Here's a guy who's going to go where the gospel's never been. But, he says, the rest of you must hold the rope. See, there's this calling that we have as believers, even those of us who are not going to the dark places with our candles. We are called back here to hold the rope as we agonize with our brothers and sisters who are endeavoring into these spaces unknown in our prayer for them, as we weep with them, as they suffer through separation from family and friends, as they go through hardship, as they suffer rejection when they preach the gospel, we agonize with them, we pray with them, and we rejoice when the gospel bears fruit. So Paul calls them into into a loving relationship seen expressed through prayer. So we kind of land the plane here. Um, How do we apply this to us? Our life, just like Paul's, this new life we have in Christ is to be marked by love. That our life is to be others-centered. We have all our needs met in Jesus, so now we're free to love one another. That Christ's love might compel us. And the three things that I see in this passage that it ought to compel us to do, number one, preach the gospel to the lost. Preach the gospel to the lost. In verse 22, he said, and this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Paul says, I want to come see you guys. I love you guys. It's a longing in my heart, just like I want to go back down to Sacramento. But he says, the gospel had already been preached there. And I had a holy ambition. I had a priority greater than just wanting to come to see you. And that was to take the gospel where it had never been before. You see, sometimes following Jesus means saying no to some good things, some good desires, because God has something bigger and better in store for you. Last week, uh, Robbie, um, our our worship leader today, our youth director, him and I were talking, and he was sharing a story with me where he was having a really nice dinner with his family and his friends, and life was good. It was a good thing, a good desire to be with those you love and to encourage each other. But God called him into something better, and there was an emergency that came up, a friend who was at the end of his rope, and Robbie stayed up all night with him, was able to preach the gospel to this guy, was able to say no to, to a good thing in order to preach the gospel to a soul where eternity is hanging in the balance. And, and here's my question to us today. Are we willing to allow God to inform and dictate our day planners and our iPhone calendar apps? Are we, are we willing to allow him to tell us what to do Listen, time here on earth is short. It's a vapor. We're not guaranteed a tomorrow, and neither are those who don't know Jesus. So let's major on the majors and preach the gospel to those around us who are dying and not knowing the person of Jesus. Preach the gospel to the lost, also called to give generously to the poor. To give generously to the poor. Do you and I have God's heart for the poor and the marginalized, for the powerless, for the orphan and the widow. And aren't you glad that was Jesus' heart for us, the powerless? And maybe some of you say, I don't even know where to start with that. And like, we're really worried sometimes about enabling people. And and, and that happens sometimes. You know, we got the guy at the corner at Fred Meyer and if I give him a buck, how do I know that he's not going to spend it on booze? How how do I know he's going to actually spend it on food like he said he was going to? Well, buy him a sandwich instead. That's one way. But we, we often, I think because we're so scared of, of things not going well, we just, we, we hold back from giving. That's why there's some really cool ministries here in the area to be able to partner with, to know how to enable, to give a hand up, not just a hand out. One of those is Love in the Name of Christ, Love Inc., just across the street. They come alongside the homeless, the poor, the hurting in our community, and, and they know how to do that in a good way that can really help them. They need volunteers. They need people to be involved in, in that process. That's a good way to get on board. 
or, or Freedom House. And praise the Lord, they just opened the men's house this last couple weeks, and now there's this pathway for men and women in two different houses who are coming out of addictive lifestyles to transition back into the world. They need what they call freedom friends. Maybe some of you have walked that path before and can come alongside them and mentor them. They're looking for all sorts of volunteers and building supply and all that kind of stuff. And then maybe, maybe you're one of those people who needs some of that help. And right here on Wednesday nights, we have a program called Celebrate Recovery. We say it's for those with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Or as I say, humans. It's all of us. And maybe you need to step into that program this Wednesday night and get some help. Or maybe you've walked that road, have received some of that help, and you need to be a sponsor or an accountability partner to one of those people that need your help. We need to give generously of our time, our talent, and our treasure, just like Jesus gave to us. If that's your heart, God will give you opportunities. There's no, there's no shortage of that. Last one, commit yourself to relationship to the body of Christ. Commit yourself to relationship to the body of Christ. Paul here shows us a priority for people, a priority in prayer and in loving two-way relationships. So you ask yourself, am I in this kind of community? If, if I, am, am I living right now in, am I, we, listen, we can't do this by ourselves. We cannot be a Christian by, in, in, on an island. We've been placed into a body of Christ and so are you loving the people that God loves? And yes, that means to the unbeliever, but Paul said let's do good especially to those of the household of faith. We've got to love each other and show the world that we are Christians by our love and our unity. So are you involved in community? We're going to talk about this more next week, but ways to get plugged into home groups and Bible studies and, and contexts of community. And are you holding the rope for other people? Are you agonizing with brothers and sisters who are overseas, those who are right here today, as you pray with them and empathetically enter into their spaces? Right now on planet Earth, there are 7.7 billion human beings. And according to Global Frontier Missions, over 3 billion of them, nearly half of them live among what we would call unreached people groups. That means it's a language or culture that has little to no access to the gospel. Brains can't even comprehend what that looks like. Jesus could come back at any moment now. Are we focused on the task at hand? Or are we chasing butterflies while the world burns? Maybe God's going to hinder you from doing something that you want to do. A good thing. A good desire. Because he's got something better for you. And maybe you're one of the families, one of the individuals that God's saying, go and take your light to the darkest regions of this world. Let's be a people who pray for those who are going. Let's be a people who give to those who are going. Let's be a people who are preaching the gospel right here in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, and going to the ends of the earth. Father, Jesus prayed this prayer that we need to echo today. He said, the harvest is plentiful. There is no shortage of need right here in our own community. And the over 7,000 unreached people groups today that have still never heard the name of Jesus in their own language. This is not a game. Souls are at stake. You said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And sadly, Lord, we know that so many, and I start with my own heart, so often disobedient to do what you've called us to do. To, 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 preach our, to preach the gospel, to live out our faith in the way we treat one another, to go where you say to go, to do what you've said to do. So you prayed to your Father, send out more workers. And so we want to echo that prayer here this morning.
that you would send out more workers and that we'd be willing to be one of those workers. We're all called to be a part of the mission, that your spirit would lead us into gospel opportunities right here in our own spaces. And there might be someone today, there might be some individuals today that start to feel the initial leading of the spirit to say, I gotta go. We have one life to live and no one's ever gonna get to heaven and regret that they spent that life telling people the gospel who would have never had a chance to hear about it otherwise. But we know it's gonna be your leading. We're a needy bunch of people. We're helpless, we're clumsy, we cannot do it without you. Change our rebellious hearts Fill us with the love of Christ and that as that would overflow of our hearts that we'd be a people who can't wait to share the good news with every person that we bump into. It's by your power and it's in your beautiful name that we go and pray. Amen.